0: Welcome to the Fire Time Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. I'm your host, Tim Reed. And once again, I'm so excited to be here today. Welcome to the Fire Time Podcast. Well, hey, today's episode is an absolute treat. And To be honest, this is an episode I did not expect to put out this season, and as soon as I heard the content that I'm going to play for you, I felt like we absolutely have to. So, to give you a little bit of backstory, I work with Matt Bradley at Wi-Fi on a day-to-day basis, and he's also the voice of the Firetime Magazine, he's the editor of the Firetime Journal, as well as the Firetime Magazine, and he is one of my best friends in the world. And... Matt's been on this podcast before in our series about core values and objectives and goals that we had a while back and you know he's one of those people that I work with on a very regular basis now me and Matt go back almost 20 years and we spent a lot of time playing punk music together in different bands back in the day true story we actually shared a bedroom in the same place that we lived in for a while well while I was irresponsible getting into the fireplace industry, Matt was responsible going to college, getting his master's degree, and becoming a public school teacher for a decade. Now, during that time, Matt's students were exclusively Gen Z. And there's a lot that he learned as a teacher about their behaviors, about what motivates them, and about their mental state. And he put all of that together into a course called Hiring and Inspiring Gen Z. I was listening to this presentation with my jaw on the floor. I was just blown away at how on the nose it is for this cultural moment that we're in right now. And for any business that is trying to hire and inspire Gen Z, this class that Matt teaches is absolutely incredible. So I'm going to leave it there because I want you to hear this presentation and I'm absolutely going to share some thoughts as well on the back end.
1: Well, y'all have to start by saying I'm super nervous because y'all were expecting Tim Reed, and I'm the poor man's Tim Reed. For sure. I mean, his hair is amazing. Mine is definitely thinning. He's boisterous and uh, and engaging, and I'm sort of uh, like an old soul sort of guy. Uh, But uh, I'm also nervous because, you know, 99 topics out of 100, y'all should not listen to me. If this was a class about installing wood stoves, please do not listen to any advice I would give you. If it was about, you know, managing a sales team, again, please don't take my advice. Take Tim Reed's advice. But I'm happy to say I am actually uniquely positioned to teach this class about hiring inspiring Gen Z because I was an English teacher for a decade. So essentially, for the last decade, before about a year and a half ago, I had the opportunity to work with thousands of different students of a variety of different ages, uh, backgrounds, um, interests, passions. I had the opportunity to speak at multiple graduations. I have still hundreds of relationships with young people and I have a huge, huge heart for this generation. And I'm also uniquely positioned to talk about this because I work with now hundreds of heart dealers across the US, right? I'm the partnership manager at Wi-Fi, and so I help people figure out how to set up their platforms, I build them for them and then I teach them how to use them. And one of the most common refrains that I hear is, I cannot find any young people to work for me. And the second common refrain I hear is, when I get young people to work for me, they don't try hard, right? I can't get them to show up. I can't get them to commit. Raise your hand if you have one of those two problems. There you go, right? Yeah, there you are, okay? Now, I want to empathize with that because, as Tim pointed out, I was a high school English teacher for eight years. I taught at Colorado State for two years. And so one of the main questions that I would bash my head against the wall asking is, how do I get these young people to perform? How do I get them to care about literature? How do I get them to care about their futures? How do I get them to care about our world? Right. And so over the course of that decade of teaching people in Gen Z, I've come up with a variety of strategies to help inspire them. Now, this. Main strategy that I'm going to talk to you today is symbolized by the diamond. And I know what you're thinking. Oh, this guy's going to give me the same old lecture. He's going to tell me that hiring and inspiring Gen Z comes down to offering a more paid time off, more money, more flexible schedules, less accountability. And to those four things, I would say no, 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 and no. The last one I think is negative. The other three, the first three, I don't think they're inherently bad, but that's not what gets young people out of bed in the morning. It's just not. And so in this presentation, I'm going to present you with an alternative, which is symbolized by the diamond. And that alternative is what I think people need, young people in particular need, is mentors who can help them develop fortitude. We're going to talk about this a lot, but fortitude is courageous strength, entrenched in moral purpose. It's uh, one of the four cardinal virtues, uh, temperance, justice, prudence, and fortitude. And the reality is that if young people don't have anything to do with their extra paid time off, if they don't have anything to do with their flexible schedule, if they don't have anything meaningful to do with all the extra money we're giving them, we're not really inspiring them, right? We're just giving them more of the same in the culture. If we're not holding them accountable and challenging them, we're just giving them more of the same. And you know what? They're not content with the way the world is, but they don't know the alternative. And so our job, right, if we want to really hire and inspire, and, and I want to point this out, this is going to be hard for us too. It's going to be hard for them. How many of you have ever said to a young person, well, sometimes life is just hard. You ever said something like that? Yeah, right? Well, guess what? Life is hard for us too, right? We have to step up, and I, I, I know it's not easy. I know it's not easy, y'all, but if we want to be serious about hiring and inspiring this generation, we have to take responsibility and we have to put in the work, not by giving them more of what they have, but by presenting them with a serious alternative, that can make them not just better employees, but better people, all right? Now, this is a really difficult thing to do because we live in the postmodern world, okay? And the first part of this presentation is gonna be kind of philosophical and it's gonna slowly move to more and more practical. I swear by the end, it's gonna get practical, okay? That's the first thing I wanna say. Uh, The second thing I wanna say about this part of the presentation is I'm making an argument. I think one of the fundamental problems in American culture is we have lost the distinction between fact and argument. Anyone else feeling that? (laughs) You know, it's crazy to watch that unravel in our society. So I'm gonna base my argument in facts. The philosophers I'm gonna talk to you about were real people, right? The time periods, it's all legit. The statistics I'm gonna give you, they're all real. But I'm gonna use those things to make an argument. Okay, and I wanna make that clear. I'm not presenting this as, this part as fact. I, I'm using facts to make an argument. And here's my argument. We live in what's called the postmodern world, okay? And the postmodern world is essentially dominated by an intellectual movement called postmodernism that most people think started around 1945. There's some debate about that year, okay? But most people argue in the philosophical world that this starts around 1945. But it actually started way before with this guy. Anybody know who this guy is? Nietzsche, 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 you know, tomato, tomato. Uh, Yeah, Friedrich Nietzsche, right? Friedrich Nietzsche, uh, probably the most influential philosopher today. He impacts all of our lives. Uh, whether we know it or not. He has created the intellectual air that we breathe. And Nietzsche had two big ideas that dominate our contemporary culture. The first one is, he wrote this book called Beyond Good and Evil, in which he posited that good and evil are nothing more than social constructs, meant to control us. And as a result, there's nothing really good or nothing really bad. It's just really what you think is good and what you think is bad. And if you're powerful enough and can convince enough people that this thing is good and this thing is bad, that's the new good and bad, right? The second big idea of Nietzsche is that life really doesn't have a meaning or a purpose that's inherent in it, right? It's all the process of creation through what he called the will to power, right? more powerful you are, the more you get to pick what's right and wrong, and that is the only source of drive and meaning in human experience, right? Now, this dominates our culture, right? And this worldview is insanely popular, and the thing about postmodernism is, if you don't have a set definition of right and wrong, you get a lot of disagreement. <laughs> do we see that in our contemporary culture? Yes, we certainly do. And so, postmodernism is only loosely connected by a couple of core concepts, right? The couple of core concepts or characteristics are skepticism, pessimism, irony oh, postmodernism loves irony and the conviction that all truth is ultimately relative and socially constructed. So let me break that down. Skepticism just means, you know, everything that comes your way, you think, nah, I'm not so sure about this, right? Constant skepticism. Skepticism for its own sake, right? Not to find truth, because truth is just a social construct. See what I mean? (laughs) Pessimism, right? Uh, If life sucks and then you die, it's kind of difficult to be optimistic or even like realistic about the way the world actually is. Irony, right? Nothing is, this is another postmodern trick, nothing is as it appears, right? If I say to Tim, you know, Uh, nice hat. What am I saying? I like your hat. If I say to Tim, nice hat, what am I saying? Your hat sucks, right? That's irony. I'm saying one thing, I'm portraying the exact opposite. That's the way postmodernists say the world really is, right? And then lastly, and this is the real killer, I think, all truth is ultimately relative. That means, oh, and this is absolutely everyone in our culture. I've got my truth. You've got your truth right? Who's to say, you know, what's objectively real. And then finally, socially constructed, right? And that just means, again, you get enough people to agree with you, then what you think is true is true. Even if you think the world is flat, is true, which look it up. There are plenty of flat earthers out there, right? Yeah. If you convince enough people, then guess what? That's true. Now, Before I get into absolutely destroying postmodernism, I wanna point out that I actually think it's done some positive things in our culture and that would be a different course because you could get a whole PhD in this particular subject. So I don't wanna say that I think it's all bad, but I do think it's done tremendous damage to our culture and particularly to our young people because it's gained steam to the point where now it is the default position of most people. It is their assumption, okay? And what kind of culture does that produce? Right. Well, postmodernism posits that all great ideas, including meaning and morality, are simply social constructs. Right? You think your life has meaning? You're just making it up. You think goodness is real like the sun is real? You're just making it up. And what does that produce? Widespread apathy. If there's nothing good to strive for, who cares? And despair. Well, if my life has no meaning, what's the point? Second problem that postmodernism has produced. Well, it's highest value is individual autonomy. I don't put freedom there, because for me, freedom comes with responsibility. Autonomy, I'm gonna do what I wanna do. Because if you're the only one who matters, and truth is all socially constructed, and meaning is just a bunch of BS, who cares? Right, I'm gonna do what I wanna do. That's all I wanna do. Now, what does that produce? It produces people who are lost, because they're not connected to anything outside of themselves. It produces people who are selfish, Because they only have the option to think about themselves. And it, I mean, I don't want to get too heavy here on a Monday morning, but it produces people who are dangerous. Because if your life is all about you and whatever you want to do, eventually you're going to get to a point where whatever you want to do, you're going to do it. Even if it's destructive, even if it hurts other people. Third problem. It often leads people to the conclusion that they should pursue personal pleasure over everything else, which pushes them into what I call the postmodern pit. What I mean by that is, if you don't believe that there's such a thing as right or wrong, and you don't think life has meaning, and every significant ideal that humans have strived for for thousands of years is just made up, the only option you have is to pursue pleasure and as much of it as you can. And we live in a culture that's very, very good at providing pleasure, especially if you have money, right? So our young people get into this position where through media, through television, through memes, through Reddit, through every you know, outlet, they are told subconsciously and consciously and directly all these things. And therefore, they arrive at the conclusion that you know, we're not here for a, a long time, we're here for a good time, right? Our generations created the problems and, and the mindset and, and normalized it for these young people. And now we're surprised that they're desperate. it's not fair. And I'm not saying let them off the hook. I'm saying put them on the hook. Okay. But we got to put ourselves on the hook too, you know, but this its okay. It's okay. Sorry. I'm getting excited now. Okay. So, (laughs) so, you know, you, you, you convince people life isn't worth living all that. So, so then what do they do? They say, we're not here for a long time. We're here for a good time. And so they pursue pleasure. And so they work and work and work all week and they get to Friday and they get hammered and they wake up and they're hungover right? And then they, on Saturday night, they do the same thing. And they wake up on Sunday and they go to brunch and they pretend everything's fine. But all the time they're thinking, I don't know why I'm doing this. I don't know why I'm doing this. I don't know why I'm doing this until they go back to work on Monday and they're miserable again. Right? That's what we've created. And what's the long-term consequence of this? Well, in short, you know, postmodernism, I would say, even though it has some merits, is one of the main reasons. I'm not saying it's the only reason. It's one of the main reasons that Americans, particularly those in Gen Z, are more depressed, anxious, addicted, and self-destructive than ever. And I'm not making this up, right? Gen Z, the definition is born after 1996. So I started teaching high school in 2013. So every high school student I've ever had is a part of this generation. And you know, again, I'm not gonna bog us down these statistics. You can look them up for yourselves, but this is the statistic, a recent graph that shows The percent of the population with major depressive episodes, right? You can see, especially among people 18 to 25 and 12 to 17, numbers are increasing. This is the percent of adult population with mental illness. You can see 18 to 25, they're some of the most desperate. And these are from Substance Abuse and Mental Health Service Administration official organizations, right? This is the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. We all know about the obesity epidemic, right? It's rising and rising. And this one is really striking and super sad, especially because I would bet all of us have been touched by this. This is the number of drug-involved overdoses that kill people, right? 2021, off the charts, right? Lastly, we have suicide rates by age range. You know, some of these are decreasing, which is good, but if you look at this really closely, and again, you can look into all this yourself, and I'm sure it won't surprise you, you know, the numbers of young people are consistently increasing. These statistics are screaming at us that something is seriously wrong. Something is seriously wrong. And my argument, it's an argument, is that one of the biggest contributors is postmodernism. Because if you really believe that all good is socially constructed, you don't have anything to strive for. And if you really think that meaning is nothing more than an illusion meant to control you, you don't have anything to live for. Right? That's the reality. Yeah, go yeah, I for I a quick question. Yeah. I, I mean, I agree with your critique of postmodernism, yeah. what is the mechanism by which it has been diffused into the young mind. That's such a great question. I think that there are lots of great answers to it. My answer is it's through a million different channels that are all converging on the same point. So it's through social media, which on all of its outlets, right? It's through our our music. It's through uh, television. It's through, you know, just the world that these kids live and breathe is everything is made up. Everything is socially constructed. There's nothing to live for. There's nothing to die for. And if you think that you're a fool, the only way they can talk about something like love or honor is ironically. You see that? They don't know how to have a real conversation about it. And again, we, I'm not saying to, to let them off the hook, but we have to point our fingers at ourselves and really directly say, don't buy into this, this is poison. Like this is poison and not in a way that's judgmental and saying, oh, you, you were just so lazy, don't you see? My generation would have done X, Y, and Z. That's not gonna do anything. It's to say, listen, I know you were raised in this culture that taught you this but it is poison for your mind let me walk along with you and let's fight through it together teddy roosevelt said you know we got to be the man in the ring it's easy when you're outside the ring to criticize the people who are boxing it's a lot harder to get into the ring and we got to get into the ring is what i'm saying right even if we get punched in the face now my proposal of one of the ways that we can start to address the serious problems that we're seeing in Gen Z is an ancient antidote, right? I told you I was an old soul, and I am. Um, Because here's the thing. We want to hire members of Gen Z for our teams, but we're having trouble attracting them to our industry. We already raised our hands and said that's true. Now, let's say we hire a member of Gen Z. Then Then we often struggle to motivate them, right? We want to inspire our Gen Z team members, but we often struggle to motivate them. Now, again, the most popular solutions to these problems, and I'm not necessarily saying that these are inherently bad things, but the most popular solutions are higher pay, flexible schedules, and extra PTO. But those aren't worth much without the sense of significance that comes from fulfilling a moral purpose right? This is an etching called uh, melancholia. Melancholia is, you know, sadness, usually based in ennui, sort of a boredom. And it's from the 17th century. And in the picture, melancholia is represented as a woman with wings, right? And she's surrounded by all the trappings of her age, all the technological advancements, all, you know, all all the signs of wealth, pleasure, power, and honor. And she's miserable. That's the thing. If you give people higher pay, but they don't have anything productive to spend it on, it's not helping them. If you give them flexible schedules, but they don't have anything to flex into, not helping them. You give them more paid time off and let's face it, they go indulge in self-destructive activities, you're not helping them. The actual antidote is mentors who can help young people develop the cardinal virtues, especially fortitude, which is rooted in moral purpose and sustained by sources of strength. That's my argument. Right? If we want to hire an inspired Gen Z, this is what we need to do. We need to mentor them. And maybe that means, we, this, I'm, I'm pointing the finger at myself like this, maybe that means we need to grow up a little bit ourselves. Maybe that means that we need to shake off some of this postmodern, you know, noxious fume right? and go back to thinking about what are the things that give my life meaning and purpose? Where do I get strength? Because you know what? Life has always been difficult. You look at the course of human history, it hasn't been easy, but people have always found a way not just to survive, but thrive. I refuse to believe that, you know, we can't do that. We, of course we can, but we've got to be serious about the source of the problem, which is we need moral purpose and we need to draw from our sources of strength. And if we do that, we'll be as hard as diamonds, right? That's why the diamond is a symbol of fortitude, right? It's the hardest substance on earth, but you don't make a diamond through an easy process, right? You got you to expose it to incredible temperatures, right? High pressure, right? That's what builds that kind of strength, right? And not calling young people to that and not living up to it ourselves we're doing a detriment to ourselves and our society and young people so that's the problem okay now in this section of the presentation i'm going to get a little less philosophical a little more practical in the third part i'm going to get really practical i promise okay i want to talk to you about what i call the fortitude formula so my last two years as an english teacher i developed a class called fortitude life and literature and it was about this content it was packed every time with an overflow list right? Not because I'm a great teacher, you're experiencing that right now, but because the content is good. The content is good. Fortitude is a good virtue to have in difficult times and in easy times, right? And in that class, I would teach this fortitude formula. I'm going to teach it to you today because I think that not only will it benefit you, hopefully, but if you can start to really understand how to help young people develop fortitude, I'm telling you, you're going to be able to hire them more and inspire them more. Your businesses are going to grow, And more importantly, you're going to have a sense of meaning and purpose in your life by pouring into someone else, right? You're taking someone who's lost and you're helping them get found. That's a good thing to do, right? So it's not just a business move, which it is a smart business move, but it's beyond that too. So this raises a very important question. I'm saying here are all these problems with postmodernism. I'm saying fortitude is the antidote. The question becomes what is fortitude, all right? Well, here's some good definitions of fortitude, right? And these are just from all different sources. Moral strength or courage. Moral strength or courage. Notice that word, moral. It's got to be based in uh, good or bad, right or wrong, right? And in a society that tells us there's no such thing, you can just understand why it's difficult to develop it. Unyielding courage in the endurance of pain or adversity, one of the cardinal virtues. The moral virtue that ensures firmness in difficulties and constancy in the pursuit of the good and courageous strength entrenched in moral purpose. This is what I would call the, the synthesis definition, courageous strength entrenched moral purpose. Fortitude is when things get tough, you don't give up because you have a moral purpose you're fighting for that is bigger than the pain you're experiencing. All right. So gr- some great examples of people with fortitude real quick. The first one is Viktor Frankl. Anybody ever read Vic- anything by Viktor Frankl? Viktor Frankl wrote me in search for meaning. He was a s- psychologist from Vienna. He went to the concentration camps with his parents. He had the opportunity to go to the U.S., but he, he was Jewish. He went to the concentration camp with his parents because he thought that he could care for them. You know, he wanted to care for them the best that he could there. And while he was there, he found meaning and purpose in the most difficult and squalid conditions of human history, maybe, uh, by helping people through their mental struggles while they were in these concentration camps, right? And when he got out, he wrote this book called Man's Search for Meaning. Frankl said, life is never made unbearable by circumstances, But only by lack of meaning and purpose. What was Frankl's purpose in the concentration camps and after? To help people who feel like their life has no meaning regain that sense of meaning. That's his moral purpose. And therefore, no matter how difficult things get in the concentration camp or afterwards, he doesn't give up. Now think about this quote really quickly for our culture too. I mean, the circumstances of contemporary American life, have they ever been easier? Like from a physical standpoint. I mean, I can get DoorDash delivered. I can get something delivered to Amazon any, any old time. I can watch anything that I want. Our circumstances are not hard physically. And yet our young people are finding them unbearable because they don't have a sense of meaning and purpose right? Here's another uh, example of someone with fortitude. One of my personal heroes, Martin Luther King Jr., right? Martin Luther King Jr., right? What's his moral purpose? He's going to end segregation because, of course, you should be able to get a cup of coffee with someone at a lunch counter who has a different color skin than you. Of course, that's always been the right move. How much people, you know, hate Dr. King, it doesn't matter, right? That he has his own doubts about the situation or he's, he's scared. The bottom line is he's going to do the right thing as often as he can because his moral purpose is not just right then, wasn't just right 100 years ago, not just 1,000 years from now, always, right? That's the bottom line. A third example, right? Malala. Anybody ever heard of Malala? Yeah, Nobel Peace Prize winner, right? Endless advocate for equal access to education, Pakistani woman. She is so loud about this and so persuasive that the Taliban assassin shoots her in the head. So again, sorry to get dark, but that's what happens. She survives and you think, okay, you get shot in the head. Like, I mean this sincerely, you're going to shut up. I would be so scared, but Malala won't shut up. She just keeps going around talking about how women should have access to education. Why? Because her moral purpose is that everyone should have equal access to education regardless of their gender, right? And the bottom line is that's always been the right move. And so for her, even right, when she's under this incredible pressure to shut up, she won't shut up. That's what fortitude looks like. That's what fortitude looks like. Now, the question is, why is fortitude the antidote to our particular conundrum, our situation, our problem? Why is it the lever to pull on right now? I got three main reasons. The first one is most young people are hungry for an alternative to postmodernism. So the cardinal virtues are right for a comeback. It's very rare that you encounter a young person who says, oh, yeah, I think everything's going great in our culture. (laughs) Right? They're like, things are not the way they should be. But no one's ever sat them down and said, hey, what if all that stuff that all these memes and social media told you was just a big illusion, like love and honor and courage and compassion, what if those aren't just illusions, but they're actually the things that make life worth living? No one's ever sat them down and intellectually presented that in a serious way to them. So they're hungry. They're hungry. I'm telling you, these classes are packed and more want to come in because they want that serious intellectual argument. Next, many young people feel like giving up. I mean, I don't, you know, I I don't, I don't know how else to say that. They feel like giving up. But fortitude makes the good times better and the tough times transformative showing beyond a shadow of a doubt that life is always worth living. Life is always worth living, right? Think about the own, your own times in your life. How many of you, have, and I'm not gonna ask for examples, I promise how many of you have undergone a period of serious struggle and come out on the other side stronger because of it? Show of hands, yes, of course, yes, right? That's because oftentimes the worst times are the most transformative if we take it as an opportunity, right? And so fortitude doesn't just make the good times better, it takes the tough times and turns them in from something that's terrible into a transformation, a positive transformation. That's awesome. Next, business leaders need team members who persevere when things get tough, and that is a key trait of someone with fortitude. How many of you would like if your employees, coworkers, endured when things got difficult? Of course, of course, we all want this thing, right? Fortitude is the characteristic, it's courageous, strength, entrenched, and moral purpose. It's like, okay, I ran into a problem, but I'm not just going to give up, right? That's the whole thing of it, okay? So we know my argument about what the postmodern problems are. We know that my argument is fortitude is like the ideal cardinal virtue to overcome our particular moment. Now the question becomes, how are we going to do it? What, what's the formula, right? So here's the formula. MP times SS equals FL. And what I mean by that is moral purpose times sources of strength equals your fortitude level, okay? So my idea, this is, you know, I can't, I, I, this is my argument. My idea is the more so- sources of moral purpose you have in your life, the more good things you're fighting for, you multiply that by the things in your life that give you strength, and that gives you your fortitude level. And how high can a fortitude level get? I don't know, a trillion. Because if you look across human history, man, you look at some people and you're like, how did they do that? It's because they had fortitude, right? So we want to get the fortitude level as high as it can possibly get. So what we want to do is in our own lives and in the lives of the people who work for us, we want to help them identify the moral purposes in their life. Then we want to help them identify their sources of strength. We want to take those seriously and we want to grow those things. We want to cultivate them. We want to nurture them. We want to water that garden, right? And that is gonna produce young people with a higher fortitude level. And along the way, y'all, we might just develop a little more fortitude ourselves, which is always useful. Now, let's break this formula down a little bit by talking about where does moral purpose come from? So it's one thing to say, okay, the amount of fortitude you have is moral purpose times sources of strength equals fortitude level. But what are the sources of purpose in life? Well, I call this C and or C and or C right? Connection, creation, and choice. And these come almost directly from Viktor Frankl and Man Search for Me. Let's start with connection. How many of you, if you're not putting on your postmodern hat, take that off. We're taking that off here. How many of you, if you're being real, the number one reason you get out of bed in the morning is some sort of connection that you have another, another person or another group of people? Of course, of course right? What are some of the co- types of connections that we can have that really give a uh, purpose and meaning to our life? Now we're going to have to get vulnerable. I know everything in postmodernism is saying, don't say something risky, right? Don't be sincere, fight that, right? What are the things, what are the people that we're connected to that get us out of the bed in the morning? Yes, our children, our spouses, right? Our religious communities, our artistic communities, our businesses, the people in our businesses are counting on us. Right? So, of course, connection is a huge source of that. Right? And for many people, their connection to to God. Right? And I think it's important that we take that seriously. Right? We might not all agree with that, but for many people, that connection is so important. If we don't take it seriously, we're discounting that person. Right? Next, we have creation. Okay? What are some of the things that we can create that give our life meaning and purpose? A business. A business. Yeah. How many of you get some meaning in your life from the businesses that you've created or helped create? Of course. Then there's art, right? There are uh, organizations. There are families. You you create a family, right? Uh, Man, of course we get uh, purpose from creation. And then finally, choice. And this is the one I want to spend time on because in our culture, our culture will say, that's right. That's where you get purpose. It's in your choice. You pick whatever you want. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when life goes the way you don't want, how do you choose to respond? Do you choose to respond with compassion and grit and intelligence and courage? Or do you give up or blame the world, right? One of those is going to produce terrible consequences because it's selfish, it's self-centered. The other one inspires people. Again, shake off that postmodern self. How many of you have ever had someone suffer? Maybe it's you or a loved one. Maybe it's from a disease a loss, um, a business being destroyed. You've seen someone suffer and you've seen them suffer well and it inspired you. Of course, of course, right? So that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about choice. I'm not talking about this shallow autonomy that tells me, you know, get rid of everybody else. Just worry about yourself. That's just the pleasure pit. That's all that is. That ain't going to help you a, a bit. But if you're in a difficult situation and you respond with courage and grace and grit and love and compassion, Man, that can inspire people. Man, that can give your life meaning and purpose. And you can get meaning and purpose by watching other people do that, all right? So our fortitude formula is moral purpose times sources of strength equals fortitude level. You want people to have fortitude? You gotta help them identify what are the connections, creations, and choices in your life that are giving you a sense of meaning and purpose, that are giving you a sense of significance, all right? Next, we have sources of strength, right? And the three main sources of strength, I think, are L and or S and or S, right? Love, slices, and struggle. Again, I know, maybe you're not thinking this, but if I was you, I might be thinking, this is, this is a business conference. This dude's talking about love. Yes, of course I'm talking about love, because we're talking about the things that get people out of bed in the morning. How many of you, again, if you're being real, when you want to give up, the thing that animates you is your love for someone else? Of course. Yeah, of course. Right? Of course, that's a main motivator in human experience. And to discount that or to act like it's not, and then we I'm sorry, have to pause. we discount that and act like it's not, and then we wonder why young people are miserable. It's not a secret, it's staring us in the face. Right? So love, of course, is a source of strength. You're going through a hard time, someone loves you, you love on them, man, you get stronger. Next, slices. This comes from a program called Sources of Strength um, that's actually a suicide prevention program mainly uh, used in a lot of high schools. And I think it, we have some great things here. So when someone's going through a difficult moment in their life, a good thing to say to those people is, okay, what are some sources of strength can you pull from? Maybe it's your family. Of course, our families build us up. Maybe it's our positive friends, our mentors. Ah, our mentorship, see? Healthy activities, not those self-destructive activities that you get into on you know, Friday and Saturday night. Those ain't going to help you. Healthy activities, Right generosity. Yeah, man. You give everything you have away. It comes back to you tenfold and strengthens you. It's like this, I don't know, loop of grace, man. Uh, faith. Again, not saying everyone has to agree with this, but if you don't take people who are serious about their faith seriously, you, you're, you're, you're missing out. You're discounting them. Faith is one of the number one reasons people get out of bed in the morning. If you don't take that seriously, even if you don't agree with them, man, you are, you, you are missing out on a huge opportunity to cultivate people. Next, physical health, right? Of course, you're in a terrible mood, you go for a job, boom. All of a sudden, you're starting to feel a little bit better. Like, hey, if I can run 10 miles, I can, you know, get out 10 estimates this week. Sure, you know? And then finally, your mental health. And of course, there are so many iterations of this, right, and so many different ways to care for it, right? And we have lots of resources available to us, and we have to take mental health seriously, too. Of course, right? So when someone's going through a difficult time, Right? Or you're going through a difficult time, we pull from these things. Take that seriously. And then lastly, struggle. Of course, we know, right? If you want to build muscle, what do you got to do? Wait. Yeah, you got to lift weights, you got to struggle, right? Same thing in life. You want to get stronger, you got to go through struggle. And again, we've, we've created a world where we're eliminating struggle as much as possible. I ask you sincerely, how's that working out for us? It's not. It's not. Okay, so that's my fortitude formula. You wanna help mentor young people? You wanna first, and I'm serious about this, help them directly and indirectly, subtly and like really straightforward sometimes, to, to identify the moral purposes in their life. What are they living for that's good? Help them find that. Then you wanna to talk to them about their sources of strength too, right? Hey, you know, when you're going through a difficult time, what are some of the things that you pull from to overcome that struggle, right? And if you do that and you cultivate those things, I'm telling you, you can mentor young people to develop more fortitude. You can develop young people who have courageous strength, entrenched in moral purpose, who show up to work even when it's difficult, who go home and take care of their loved ones even when that's inconvenient, and who show up the next day right, ready to go again, even though yesterday was really hard and sucky. doesn't
0: matter to them because they got fortitude. We'll get back to our episode with Matt Bradley in just one second. Hey, if you're listening to this in real time, then you know right now from an economy perspective, things are uncertain at best. And many businesses for the last couple years have just been playing defense, trying to hold on with the growth that they've experienced. But as the tide has gone out, companies are finding that they don't have the muscles within their organization to play offense and start winning business intentionally again. If that's where your company is and you want to move from just playing defense to playing offense, then you need to sign up for Wi-Fi. You've heard me talk about it before, but Wi-Fi is software that's built to help you write up lightning fast estimates. And this can plug into your website to provide project prices for your customers 24 hours a day and connect them with your sales team and in addition to that, it has showroom tools to make writing estimates simple and to manage your book of business like never before if you've got new salespeople, I'm not joking, within two days on the job, they'll be able to write up customized estimates for customers and for your experienced salespeople, they'll have tools to manage their book of business and pursue opportunities like never before. To take advantage of all of this and to see what WiFire can do for you, you can sign up by going to wifire.com. That's W-H-Y-F-I-R-E.com.
1: Part three, practical principles. This is the most practical part. Promise this is super practical. So this presentation is called Hiring and Inspiring Gen Z. So I'm going to start with like a series of principles for hiring. I'm going to give you some interview questions that I think you should ask. And I'm going to give you a series of principles for inspiring, and I'm going to give you some examples of how that might work out. All right, let's talk about hiring principles. Okay, these are gonna seem simple. One of my favorite authors, G.K. Chesterton wrote, every high civilization decays by forgetting obvious things. Let that one sink in. <laughs> every high civilization decays by forgetting obvious things. So we might think this is so simple. Well, yeah, okay, yeah. As I said, I'm a poor man, stem Tim Reed first, okay? But secondly, we need to remind ourselves of the simple things right now because the, the intellectual air we breathe is so toxic, we have to constantly remind ourselves. Here's the first one. When you're hiring young people, avoid sarcasm during initial interactions, like the plague. Here's why. Sarcasm is expected, it is boring, and it is toxic. I'm not saying that no one's ever made a good sarcastic point. I'm saying in general, it's just the default position of postmodernists because they don't want to talk about anything of serious significance because if you do, you might start thinking that their philosophy isn't right. You might find things that are actually worth believing in. So when you meet young people and you're hiring them for their position, avoid it like the plague. It will catch them off guard almost like nothing else. Instead, practice sincerity during initial interactions. Sincerity is engaging and it's unexpected. And at first, because they're programmed by postmodernism, they might be like, who is this? I think uh, this is kind of burying my soul a little bit, getting kind of personal. I think that's how a lot of people meet, uh, think when they meet Tim Reed. Like, this guy's just a little too genuine. He's just a little too nice. I'm telling you, this dude is the same dude. Right? But when you, when you act that way to people, they notice. Like, why is this guy so sincere? Why is he so interested in me? Right? It catches them off guard. That's the sort of thing that makes people want to work for you. Next, this one's controversial. I'm going to throw it out there. Do not swear during initial interactions. There are so many other words. You don't need to be swearing during initial interactions. And that's not because I'm under some like, illusion that these young people aren't exposed to filth online. They are so much. You want to be the counterpoint. You see what I'm saying? You want to present the alternative. You're not that. You're something different. You're the thing they've been looking for. So don't swear during initial interactions. There are so many other words. Next, assume that most young people are smart, caring, and capable. Man, this one can you know give us a struggle because we're, we're postmodernist. We're we're in this postmodern world too, right? But I'm telling you, from teaching young people over many years, they're not perfect, <laughs> just like the rest of us. Okay, let that sink in for a moment. But man, the, the majority of them are smart, and they really do care, and they are capable. But they know when people don't think that about them, because they've spent their whole lives looking through illusions. They're the social media generation. They know that how things appear are not always really how they are, right? And so when you behind closed doors, badmouth Gen Z, talk about how lazy they are, stupid, right? Uh, they, they just think everything should be handed to them. And you meet someone from Gen Z for the first time, I'm telling you, they're going to know. You have to change your thinking about them. You have to assume the best of them. How many of you would want them to assume that about you? <laughs> you know, you, you, exactly, you, sorry, I think I asked that question kind of poorly. You would want them to assume this is a decent person who's trying to do their best, right? And who has flaws just like me, but also who's you know, caring and wants to do the right thing and the good thing. Of course, that's how we want people to assume when they meet us, right? So I'm telling you, you gotta do that. You gotta work it in. You gotta listen actively during interviews don't just think about the next thing you're going to say, okay? That's real temptation. You got to really, really listen because when you're interviewing young people, what you're looking for is what's your moral purpose? What are your sources of strength? And that kind of conversation, man, that takes so much intensive listening. It's hard. It's really hard, but you got to listen actively. Next, please do not try to connect with Jim Z by acting like you're young. You are not young. <laughs> if you're in here, you're not young, okay? Man, I'll tell you, when I would teach, you know, I taught this type of stuff in the classroom, there's such a temptation in our culture to be like, well, don't you have to write it on a skateboard and like bring up a meme every class? It's like, no, I'm talking about Nietzsche. No, I'm talking about St. Thomas Aquinas. No, I'm talking about Aristotle, Flannery O'Connor. Like, do not, not, not try and get on their level because the second you know that OK Boomer is a thing, it's not been a thing for 10 weeks. It's just not been. So don't try and play that game because again, you're presenting the alternative, not giving them more of what they have. You wanna be the thing that's different. And next, don't shy away from asking big questions during interviews, even when it's uncomfortable or scary. Right? Now, that last one, goes directly to the next slide, which is, here are some of the questions I would suggest you ask. Of course, you don't have to phrase them this way. It's a suggestion, but here's some of the questions I would suggest you ask when you're hiring Gen Z, because again, you're interviewing them, yes, but they're interviewing you. And they're hungry for something to believe in. They're hungry for a company they wanna work for, right? And so when you ask questions that are great, they'll pick up on it, because most of them are smart, caring, and capable. Here's the first question. I love this question. Your life is not about you. Do you agree with this statement? Why or why not? Man, their whole lives, everyone's been telling them, your life's all about you. Do whatever you want. Write your own story. Oh, by the way, everything's made up and there's no point to any of this. But go ahead and write your own story. The characters aren't real and you know there's no plot or purpose. But go ahead, write your own story. You're in control. And they're like, what am I supposed to do? So imagine the freedom these young people feel when you say, your life isn't about you. It's about who you can serve. It's about who you can pour into. It's about things bigger than yourself, right? Now, you ask them, you just say that. Your life is not about you. Do you agree or disagree with the statement, why or why not? You got a young person who says, man, I don't really know. That's a tough one. Let me think about that. That's a person you want to hire, right there. Someone who says, I totally agree, man. I find that when I focus on myself, I just go into dark places. I'm not helpful, you know, I'm self-destructive. Like, man, if I, if I take care of my sibling, all of a sudden I feel so much better. That, hire that person right there. That's the person you want. If you got someone who's like, no, my life is only about me. <laughs> Honestly, that's like, you don't, not every person is meant to work for you. Let that person go, right? And hope that down the road they realize like that is just a pit. They're just digging themselves a pit, right? Here's the next question I would encourage you to ask. What gives your life purpose, meaning, or direction? Yeah, it's a hard question to ask. But it's important. You're trying to find out what's their moral purpose. What do they care about? What gets them out of bed in the morning? Next one. Our business is always looking for ways to help our team members pursue their passions. If you joined our team, what can we do to help you pursue yours? Man, that's a powerful question, right? Not because, again, we're capitulating to this culture that says, oh, we're just going to pay you more and you can do whatever you want. You don't have to show up on time. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, what do you really care about and how can we facilitate that and foster that and give you an opportunity to grow it? Next, what are your greatest strengths? That one's common. Here's one I like though. How have you used your greatest strengths to serve your family, your friends, your community, your country, or your world? That's the question you wanna ask. Cause when you start using your greatest strengths toward the greater good, your life derives a sense of significance, which we call meaning, right? And so if someone can say, yeah, you know, I've always felt that I'm super good with kids. And when my folks are away, like, man, I love babysitting my, my little brother. Boom, that's a person you want to hire, right? Someone says, yeah, I've always just had a, you know, I really love music. And man, um, you know, I'm, I'm in a band and i really, Tim Reed was in a band. <laughs> someone, a yeah, not a good one either, okay? I know, because I played shows with them and my band was terrible too. But man, we cared about something. We, cared, we really cared about it, right? Um, and so we're using it toward the greater good, right? You, you got someone who says, man, I volunteer at my youth group three times a week. And that really you know, gives me a sense of meaning and purpose. I feel like I can communicate with people and walk along people while they're broken. That's the sort of person you want to hire. Next, our business is always looking for ways to give back to our community. If you joined our team, what are some worthy causes you'd like to see us support? See? Yeah. Now, now they're like, what? This, this business is not just thinking about itself, it's thinking about how it can benefit the larger community of the world? Man, that's the sort of thing people want to be a part of. And then lastly... Can you provide an example of a struggle you've overcome and explain the sources of strength you tapped into to overcome it? Sorry, it's cut off there on the bottom. But those are some sample questions. They don't have to be that exact thing, but what you're looking for is what are your moral, what's your moral purpose or moral purposes, and what are your sources of strength? When things get tough, where do you go? Yeah, that's what you wanna know, right? Because that's what they wanna know. That's what they wanna know. Okay, here are some principles for inspiring Gen Z, basic principles followed by practical tips. Again, every high civilization decays by forgetting obvious things. Two of these are repeats. I have to repeat them, they're so important. First one, avoid sarcasm during daily interactions. Sarcasm has never inspired people in the way that sincerity has. People don't die for sarcasm, they don't. In contrast, sincerity during daily interactions is a crucial precursor to serious conversations, right? Because. Postmodernism wants us to keep it all surface level, never get to the deep things, because if we never get to the deep things, we'll just keep pursuing pleasure and busying ourselves and never really thinking about the fact that we don't know what we're doing or why we're doing it, right? So irony is surface level. Sincerity, boom, that's how you get to the depths. That's how you start to understand what people really are motivated by, what they really care about, what they really love. You've gotta be sincere or you'll never have those real conversations with young people. Next, practice gratitude and give your team members the opportunity to do the same. I don't know about here, because I haven't been out very much. I was out last night, I guess, and the people were very gracious. But in the Pacific Northwest, this is a real trend. I am perceived as an inconvenience when I go to a restaurant. Does anyone else feel this way? Like you're an inconvenience when you go out somewhere? It's, I know it's regional, because like recently I was in Texas and it was not nearly as bad, and then I was here, and I felt like last night people were super generous. But man, in the Pacific Northwest, you go out for food, You are an inconvenience, especially I have three kids, four and under. Oh, I'm an inconvenience. You know, people are like, I don't want to be helping you. Like, avoid the table, right? And why is that? Well, we can blame it on them. and They have responsibility for it. But I also think it's a cultural thing in the sense that if behind our customers' backs, we talk about how stupid they are and how we wish they were better. And don't you see how expensive this product is? And man, if you leave, I'll just find another one. I'm busy enough. If you say those sorts of things around young people, they internalize them. And then when your customers walk into the showroom floor, how do they treat the customer? Like an inconvenience. Instead, you gotta teach young people, man, life is a gift, right? When it comes to life, the critical thing is whether you take things for granted or take them with gratitude, G.K. Chesterton. Boom, that's a quote, right? That's so true because If you are saying, man, every, and I know people, people aren't perfect, but if you say to those employees, we're trying, man, I appreciate you. I care about you. Right. And you say, man, I'm so glad that customer came in and man, I'm so glad we got to make that situation. Right. And man, isn't it cool that we had that giant company picnic or that, that party, man, isn't it cool that even though that installation sucks so bad, we did an awesome job in the end. Look at that thing. That gratitude matters. It rubs off on people. Articulate your central mission and core values. You know, I I know this can seem like fluff, but Tim Reed always says, this is the most important thing we do as a company. Every quarter we review our our, uh, central mission and core values. And it is the thing that animates our company because we try and live them out. Every day we try and live them out, right? And if you look right here on the NDL wall right here, man, I've seen this when they're painted, right? And sometimes you go into a company, it's like, I don't know, you, you know, it's on the wall, but do they really do it? How many of you have helped, felt extremely, uh, the extreme hospitable nature of NDL while you've been here. It is just incredible. And that's one of their core values, right? Partnerships, caring about people. They have them on the wall. I don't know exactly what they are, but you know they live them. You see what I mean? That changes companies. That changes people. Next, show, don't tell, and do it daily. This is whole piece of writing advice that's really good. Um, it's so true um, because uh it's it's tempting for us to say i care about you and it's okay to say that to people i know postmodernism would have us believe that's way too vulnerable no one's ever going to take us seriously but it's okay to say that to people but then you got to show it too because again they live in the world of irony these kids live in the world of irony where there's a mismatch you say you care about me but really all you want from me is production right that's what they're oftentimes i'm not saying all of them do that but that's their thought process that's defensive so when you, not, when you don't just say, man, I care about you, but you show them day after day, you know, one of the craziest things is just using their name every day. Saying good morning to them every day, every time you see them, right? Then ask them about the things that they love because I don't know if any of you feel this way. When someone is kind to me, that's, that's awesome. When someone is kind about my kids, my wife, oh dude, I, that is what fills me up, right? And I've, I'm sure many of us feel the same way. So inquire like, hey, you know, if the person loves a, a local softball league, Hey, how was that softball game last night? Oh, that's so rad. Well, you know, yeah, I, I couldn't play myself, right? But man, I, I bet you were smashing homers. No, you were falling over in the dugout too. That's okay. You know, I'm sure it's going to be a, 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 a still a fun game, right? Whatever it is, you got to do it daily though. It's work. It is work to pay attention to people, but it's like oxygen. It's like oxygen when you don't superficially pay attention to them, but you really show that they matter and they're there. You got to do it day in, day out. Because why? Because that's what you want them to do to your customers. You want them to treat your customers that way, right? You've got to treat them that way. And not just, be, not just when the customer leaves say, oh, that wasn't that customer so annoying. That don't help anybody. It doesn't help anybody. Instead, you've got to say, man, I'm grateful for the opportunity to work through this difficult problem. And again, I know what you're thinking. Well, that sounds kind of idealistic. That's postmodernism. That's all it is. It's just the intellectual air you breathe, right? Fight it. Fight it like the plague. The next one is set high standards and hold your team members accountable. I cannot stress this enough. You know, when I was a teacher, when kids went missing from my class, I would find out why. They didn't show up for a couple days in a row. I'm tracking them down. I'm calling their houses. I'm reporting it to the principal, right? I'm getting after these kids in the parking lot. Hey, that's weird. You're here because you weren't in my class. And you think, oh, that kind of pestering, that's the exact type of authority young people don't want. They do want it. They wanna be held accountable. You know how many kids i failed? Lots. And it wasn't because I didn't care about them, it was because I did. And those are the same kids that write me emails years later and were like, hey man, thanks for holding me accountable. Now I'm doing X, Y, and Z. But see, I didn't just hold them accountable. I showed them that I cared about them every day. And then I held them accountable. It's a both and. You hold them accountable without care, you're just part of the problem. That's what they think in their minds, right? You gotta have both and, it's not an either or. Lastly, you gotta challenge your team members. I get fired up about this one too. Again, one of the common mantras is, well, well, just don't challenge them too much. You know, they're just not ready. No, lie. I mean, when I was an English teacher, our students would read Native American literature from thousands of years ago, the journals of Christopher Columbus, the captivity narrative of Mrs. Mary Rowlandson, the autobiography of Benjamin Franklin, the stories of Nathaniel Hawthorne, the fiction of Flannery O'Connor. We would talk about Nietzsche, we would talk about you know, uh, Aristotle, Thoreau, Emerson, they're ready for it, but you gotta challenge them. You can do this and it's worth doing. They will listen to you if you are serious and you say it over and over again and show them, but you gotta support them too. I didn't just throw the autobiography of Benjamin Franklin at and say, okay, go at it. No, I said, okay. Here's a little information about Ben Franklin's life. Here's the intellectual movement he was a part of. Here's a little background about his personal life. Let's read these first couple pages together. Notice how we see this X, Y, and Z feature. What's he mean here? Let's summarize that together. You gotta have those conversations, but if you do, man, those kids can read the autobiography of the Benjamin Franklin. You know how many people told me they can't? I would say, that's what I teach. All these teachers say to me, they'll never do it. No, you'll never do it. That's the real thing. You don't wanna do it, because it's hard. But if you do something hard with them, they will do something hard with you. Sorry, I'm getting fired up. (laughs) (sighs) Okay. I told, I literally told Tim, I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I I told Tim, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to keep it calmer today. The last time I gave this that I'm failing. Okay. So here are some sample strategies. Again, you don't have to take these, but they're just examples that are super concrete. What do you want to do if you're trying to inspire Gen Z day after day? Right. Last time we went over hiring questions, these are uh, inspiring techniques. The first thing is, you, wanna, you, can, you can, it's an option. You can support things like Stove Team International, Operation Barbecue, or other industry organizations through financial donations or volunteer efforts. How many of you have ever heard of Stove Team International? Oh, this is such a cool program. So Stove Team International is out of Portland, and they make uh, super efficient cook stoves. Because being in the industry we're, we're in, we know that a lot of uh, you know, the, the pollutants that go into the air are from developing countries. right? Like Our appliances are very, very efficient, but a lot of other places where they're burning over open fires, that is pumping a ton of uh, CO2 in the atmosphere. right? And so what the Stove Team International does, it goes to these people who uh, are in developing countries and it gives them cook stoves so now they don't have to cook over open fires. This benefits the people personally because their health improves. I think, I don't want to misquote this, but Tim and I were talking about this last night. It's one of the leading causes of death in the world is smoke inhalation. So it improves their personal lives. It helps them get out of poverty because people, uh, Stove Team International trains these people to manufacture these and install them. So now it's like, you know, encouraging them to get into an industry, right? And it reduces CO2 emissions significantly. And again, you know, We can argue about that internally as an industry all we want, but you look at survey after survey. What are young people concerned with when it comes to social issues? They're concerned with climate, and they're concerned with poverty and economic inequality, among other things. But those are two big ones for them. If you can invest in an uh, an organization within our industry that helps solve those two problems and not just contribute to them financially. Hey, Taylor, every time you sell a stove, we're going to donate 10 bucks to Soap Team International or 20 bucks or whatever it is. But say, this is really crazy. One week a year during the uh, slow season, we're going down there because it's really easy to be cynical about systems. These young people have been disappointed by so many systems in their life, but your heart breaks open when you meet people face-to-face. And if you can see, wow, we installed this stove and now this mother with four children doesn't have to breathe this noxious fume every day and it's burning cleaner and you're meeting these people and you're high-fiving the kids, I don't care how tight postmodernism's grip is on your heart, something will happen to you, it will right? Next, another one that you might consider, Operation Barbecue Relief. This one is where people in our industry, they go to uh, sites of natural disasters and they take barbecues there and they cook food for first responders and people who are recovering from these disasters. Man, again, donate to that. Maybe even go there some, at some point, right? That's powerful. Next, support warming centers, soup kitchens, or other community organizations. Again, pick whatever you know, gives meaning and purpose to you and your team, but man, we make things that warm people up, And sometimes, especially where I'm from, it gets so cold. There are warming centers. What can we do to support those? Soup kitchens. Again, we barbecue. That's what so many of us sell barbecues. Like, okay, let's do something for our local soup kitchen or other community organizations. Give team members the opportunity to spend time with their loved ones. Again, I'm not saying let these young people come in late or whenever they want. But I'm saying maybe, you know, having an intentional conversation. Like, okay, I know you need to take your son to school on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Okay, what can I do to support you in that? right? And maybe it's not like come in whenever you want, but it's like, okay, so you need to come in at nine instead of eight. That's fine. Just make sure you're here by nine. You have that agreement? (laughs) I mean, that will mean so much to these people, right? Uh, Next, give team members opportunities to pursue the passions that give them purpose. Faith, art, athletics, right? You got someone who says, uh, you know, my passion is being uh, a softball coach. So in the spring, right? It would be awesome if I could start a little earlier in the morning, get off a little earlier in the afternoon so that I could coach these uh, kids. What do I have to do to make that happen? That's the sort of thing you want to support. That's not being lazy. That's being communicative, right? And again, if if, if, if this young person says, oh, I'll come in at six every day to make up for the time and the young person's coming in at seven, say, hey, I care about you too much to let this slide. We made an agreement, right? What's going on here? But that's the sort of thing that's going to motivate their behavior. Start daily stand-up meetings with five minutes of silence and gratitude and record reflections in journals. I know what you're thinking. See your postmodernism hats on. That sounds a little far out there. But I'm telling you, look into the science of gratitude. It is one of the most powerful things you can do to improve your mental health, your physical health, and improve the connections with people around you. And five minutes of reflection, write down five things you're grateful for today. That's going to rub off. Hold weekly team meetings to review upcoming plans and discuss how they contribute to the greater good. This is key. How are we contributing to the greater good of our coworkers? Think about that auction yesterday. That was so powerful. (sighs) See our postmodern half would say, well, isn't there some corporate ploy behind this? I don't believe that for a second. I think these people cared about this guy. I think they loved him. Your team will notice when you do things like that, right? So it's contributing to the greater good of our coworkers, our community members and our company. And lastly, hold monthly meetings to discuss how the company is doing and celebrate team members with fortitude. Yeah, Tim, I know that installation was really tough and that customer wasn't the easiest to deal with, but man, you were out there every day when you were supposed to be, you got the installation done and everybody look at these pictures. Dude, Tim, come up. Let's, let's get out and give them a round of applause and you know, uh, here's a, a, a $5 bucks, uh, five Starbucks gift card or whatever you want to do, right? So that's basically the presentation, right? And I hope what you can see is, again, I'm not saying there's anything intrinsically wrong with those other things that we try and pull people, young people into it, but we have to take responsibility for not only ourselves, but for these young people. We have to dedicate our lives to something beyond ourselves. And if we do that, these young people will notice. It'll be easier to hire them. It'll be easier to inspire them. I promise. Thank you.
0: Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that class from Matt Bradley. My goodness. I mean, I'm not joking. I was floored. Now... Like I said, Matt has been one of my best friends for over a decade, and I've seen him teach, and I know the power when that guy gets on the stage, but something really, really came together in that presentation. You know, when Matt talked about how postmodernism is the air we breathe, he's right. Everything in North American culture today is postmodern, meaning that significance and purpose and morality... They're all subjective. Hey, whatever you think is right is great as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. But the problem is whose definition of hurting? Because that's that's an objective value, not subjective. Yet our society says that everything is subjective. We make ourselves the center of the universe and our pleasure as the highest good. And that sounds good for a little while, but very, very quickly, it becomes a well that doesn't produce water and we're left trying to find anything we can do to quench it now this in many ways is true of us right now as a society but it's especially true for young people you know even though young people couldn't articulate these ideas of Nietzsche Hume and others they live in the after effects of it and as a result they need mentors and this is something that is so relevant you know in in my own career I've been fortunate enough to be a mentor for a number of people and it is amazing as you start to invest in the younger generation, how they become loyal, how their behaviors change and how they start to take things much more seriously. And what I found is that the whole time they were struggling, trying to find purpose, trying to find hope, trying to find a path forward. And when you can come alongside and say, Hey, I don't have it all figured out, but there's some things I can show you. You it's like a magnet. And and just like just like Matt said, like they're drawn to you. You don't have to try and be relevant to the young generation. You can be a guide because they're sick of what they have. They're they're sick of it. But when they can find something different, they'll latch on. And at the very least, I think from a hiring perspective and an inspiring perspective, what this means is that it's not your job to force someone who doesn't believe in meaning and purpose and morality to believe in those things. That's not your job. Your job is to see if you can unlock that in someone who wants it, but doesn't know how to find it. When you've got that person, they're the one to invest in. in. In the previous scenario, you might invest some time and just find this is the wrong fit. You know, they don't believe in purpose. They don't believe in meaning. They don't take their job seriously. And as I invest in them, they're not interested. Well, that's an indication you need to cut ties. But to Matt's point, there are so many people in Gen Z that are smart, that are hardworking and have ideas that older folks don't have. And as you invest in them, you will unlock something in their potential that can pay you and our society back for years to come. I, I've seen this happen time and time again in my own career. And this class that that Matt taught I thought was absolutely phenomenal to help us. You know, things like having core values. Talking about our strategy, our goals and objectives, and why accomplishing these things will serve a purpose bigger than just putting money in the owner's pocket, right? These things start to create meaning. When we partner with organizations like Stove Team International, like Matt was saying, or Operation Barbecue Relief, these are things that young people can get behind, and it makes them want to be a part of this, when, when you think about the day in and day out practices, though, I think that that's where it gets lost. Many owners and managers think, well, I don't have time. I can't be a mentor. There's no way once a month I could take one of my team members out and just talk to them about, about life. And, you know, my, my word to you, if, if that's your situation is, well, good luck. Good luck. I, I hope it's been working for you. But my guess is that it hasn't been. And if we want to make a difference with this generation, these are the things that we have to do. I think that Matt did an amazing job of laying that out. And again, like I can only tell you about my personal experience, but I have seen this time and time again be something that that helps. And and, and this is ultimately how we we grow our society. As as we get older and older, it is our obligation to invest in the young generation and, and now more than ever to mentor them. Well, hey, if this podcast today was a blessing for you and you want to support it financially, you can do that by going to the website patreon.com slash itsfiretime. That's patreo dot com slash itsfiretime. And seriously, as, as you guys contribute to this on a month-to-month basis, it provides us a, a budget, a shoestring budget, but a budget nonetheless to be able to plan content, make sure we have equipment that is going to sound good and, and be right, and hopefully give you tons and tons of value. So to those of you that do contribute, it, it does not go unnoticed. We are so thankful. And to those of you who aren't in a spot to contribute hey, you're welcome here. So thanks for listening. And, you know, hopefully this helps you and, and the people around you grow and, and serve your team and your customers and your society better. Well, as we round out today, the thought that I would leave you with is a question. And the question is, in your company, who is the person that you're going to start this mentoring relationship with? Who is it? If you don't have a young person to mentor, go find one. Again, again, I've seen time and time again, really smart, really dedicated young people that start to carry companies after a few years, but it takes that initial investment to unlock their potential. And that's what you can do when you're a mentor for them. Well, hey, like I said earlier, I hope that this gave you a ton of value. I think that what Matt brought to the table is phenomenal. So put it into practice this week, and we'll talk again very soon. Thank you for listening to the Fire Time Podcast.